sure some of you fellows can relate to this. You're in the you're in the fishing boat, and uh, you're trying hard to keep up with with your buddy who's in the boat with you, and he is catching a fish on just practically every cast. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, he's bringing in big catfish almost every cast, and you are not catching anything. And so, what would be your natural reaction to that sort of a scenario? Well, I think, obviously, what you'd do is you'd start watching to see just just what is he doing anyway. And so, what size hook is he using? I'm going to put on the same size hook. How's he baiting his, his bait? I'm going, to, I'm going to do the same. How deep is he fishing? Is he fishing on the bottom, or is he, is he using a bobber? How deep has he got his bait suspended? Uh, I'm going to watch that. Uh, and, and there's a lot of other intricacies about fishing, of course, you guys know, and some of you gals who like to fish as well. But if the fella, other fellow in the boat is catching and you're not, you're going to watch him and see what's causing him to be so successful, and you're going to imitate him. That's just obvious, right? I mean, it, it, it just makes sense to do that. Well, tonight we, don't, we want to talk about fishing in a way, but not fishing for fish. We want to talk about fishing for men. We want to talk about really the most, one of the most important assignments we have as the people of God, and that is to teach and convert others. We want to talk about this important job of personal work, but what we want to do is we want to see what we can learn by observing the personal work efforts of others. Now, we could do that with, with our, our brethren, our, our, uh, uh, who are here with us, who are, who are alive, our own contemporaries. But I want to suggest to you, we want to look to some Bible examples of people who are very successful in, in leading others to Christ, see what they did and what we can learn to imitate so that we can be as successful as possible in this very important work. And it's a job that we all need to and want to take seriously, our job of sharing the gospel with others. I see that my... I tried to clear up these charts just quickly before services started. It didn't work. So you're going to, you can see the shadow of the points coming. So you can anticipate me as we go along tonight when we talk about observing the personal work efforts of others. Thanks for being here tonight. We very much appreciate you uh, for having the interest and concern and dedication that brings you back on Sunday night. Thanks for coming, and uh, thanks for the encouragement that you provide. Thanks to our visitors for being here tonight as well. Let's talk, let's do this, let's, let's first describe several episodes that we read about in the New Testament. And then having thus talked about the episodes, we'll make some observations, some lessons that we can learn. So consider these examples. First of all, in the text that Eric read for us a moment ago from John chapter 4, we read about Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, what's really interesting about this episode is that, that uh, first of all, that Jesus would even be in Samaria. Sometimes the Jews would even avoid going through Samaria because there was such an ethnic animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so the fact that Jesus was even passing through Samaria in itself may be significant. Uh, the fact that he would speak to the woman at the well... Uh, is, is impressive because, uh, first of all, she was a Samaritan. Secondly, she was a woman. And, and in that culture and in that time, uh, men often didn't, wouldn't even relate to a woman in a public place. And so, as some have suggested, she had two strikes against her. 
uh, it, it was such an unusual thing that Jesus spoke to her that when his disciples came back in verse 27, it says, upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? And so it was a pretty surprising thing that Jesus would engage this woman. A couple other observations, and we won't reread this because Eric just read it for us, but a couple other observations here is that as this episode started, Jesus was tired from his journey. It says that he was weary. He was apparently hungry because the disciples had gone into town to buy something to eat. He was apparently thirsty. He asked the woman to draw him a drink of water. And so all, there's a whole bunch of things that just don't seem like that would be a likely teaching situation. And that's the point that we want to make here in just a minute. But there was a lot of not ideal things here. This woman wasn't an ideal person to be talking to. She was, on top of everything else, she was apparently a, a notoriously immoral woman in that community who had been with a number of different men in that city, uh, there was just a lot wrong with this situation. So just keep that in mind, and we'll, we'll, we'll draw some conclusions in a minute. Secondly, let me talk to you about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Go with me to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, we won't read that whole episode certainly, but I do just want to make note of how it started the, the, the famous conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go to the south, and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, I think almost all of us, as we've studied the book of Acts, recognize in Acts there's two famous episodes. The first half of Acts chapter 8 talks about Philip in the city of Samaria. And remember, Simon the sorcerer had been very active in Samaria. But Philip went down there teaching the truth, performing miracles. The city was was taken by his preaching. Many obeyed the gospel. Even Simon the sorcerer obeyed the gospel. Huge crowds of people apparently were listening to what Philip was saying and responding to the message that he preached. But he's called away from that. He's called away from that work in Samaria. He's called to go down from Jerusalem, to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And we know what happens there, right? He meets up with the Ethiopian eunuch, and he teaches one man. He's called away from a situation where he's having a powerful effect in the whole city of Samaria to go off into the desert to teach one man. Hmm, that's pretty impressive. Hang on to that for a minute. We'll talk more. Go with me to the very next chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we read about a man named Ananias in the city of Damascus who was told to go see Saul of Tarsus. And he, as you can well imagine, was hesitant to do so because he's aware of the fact that Saul's a terrible persecutor of Christians and in fact that Saul had been called or Saul had sought special permission to come to Damascus to search out disciples. Ananias is aware of that. Read with me in Acts chapter 9 at verse 10. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. 
and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias being sent, even even miraculously sent, to engage Saul of Tarsus in the city of Damascus. That's an interesting episode too. And, and again, hang on to the idea that he was hesitant to go because of Saul of Tarsus's reputation, but the Lord sent him. Go to the next chapter, Acts chapter 10. Another well-known episode is Peter going to the house of Cornelius. Peter going to the house of Cornelius. Um, This also was an unusual situation because up to this point in time, the gospel message had only gone to Jews. Only Jews were being preached to from Pentecost until this time. But you remember the Lord appeared to Peter uh, and Peter understood the message that, that he should go to this Gentile man's house. Cornelius was a Gentile. In Acts 10, verse 28, he said unto them, that is, Peter said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for, I ask therefore for what intent you have sent for me. And so, uh, again, here's an unusual case that wouldn't typically have happened. A, a Jewish man going to a Gentile man's house, but Peter had a vision uh, that, that indicated to him he should do so, and he did. And, of course, we understand the results. The first Gentile converts to Christ were made on this occasion. And then let me point out one more before we begin to draw some conclusions from these various episodes. Think about Paul on the missionary journeys that he made. Three missionary journeys, and he went to lots of new places. He went, he effectively everywhere he went, he was going places where the gospel had not gone before he took it there. He was going to new places where the gospel had not been proclaimed. He he went, for instance, uh, to the Macedonian city of Philippi. Uh, and in Philippi, what's really interesting about Paul going to Philippi is, as you read along in that, in that account in the book of Acts, we won't take time to do that, Paul had intended to go in some different directions to some other places. And he was actually being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to these various places. And he kept being pushed on to what would be geographically the northwest uh, and he and he saw a vision, a man from Philippi saying, "Come over and help us." Uh, and so Paul had this vision. Now he had already been hindered by the Spirit, miraculously hindered by the Spirit, to go in some different directions that might have seemed logical. These might seem to be good places to go and preach the gospel. And he's being drawn to, and ultimately a vision calls him into Macedonia to the city of Philippi. What might Paul have thought about that? I don't know. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he he is called to Philippi. We'll talk about what happened when he got there, uh, about 
the kind of reception he received. And then, of course, we know we remember in Acts chapter 17, Paul was in the city of Athens. We talk a lot about the idolatry of the first century, and there were a lot of places where idolatry was very prevalent. There may not have been any place where idolatry was more prevalent than in the city of Athens in Greece. Uh, and and Paul is called, uh, or, or or ends up, let's, let's put it that way, he ends up in the city of Athens to proclaim the gospel among those idol worshipers. Okay, so what we got there? We got five different episodes. Let's draw some conclusions from these episodes. First of all, I, I think when it comes to doing this work of preaching and teaching and instructing people in the ways of salvation, we should learn to not be afraid. Uh, and and I'm, I'm going to draw this point from Ananias and Saul of Tarsus. As we said, Ananias was was just very reasonably concerned about his personal safety when, when he was supposed to go see Saul of Tarsus. I know about this guy. I've heard a lot about this guy, he said. Uh, I know that he's persecuted Christians everywhere, and he's come here for that very purpose. Uh, so... I, I can completely sympathize with Ananias being afraid to go. But the Lord says, go. Uh, he's, he's, he's a chosen one for my purposes. And so Ananias did go. I'm, you gotta be, we don't know any more about Ananias than this episode tells us. But you have got to be impressed with this, this man that he had that courage to do so. We need to have courage. You know, uh, in, in his case, he could worry that his life would be at risk if he exposed his identity to Saul of Tarsus. He could literally have been concerned for the safety of his life. You know, that's not going to happen to us. I mean, no, nobody's going to throw us in jail or kill us. At least not yet. <laughs> Times might change, but nobody's going to throw us in jail or kill us for, for preaching the gospel. And yet we still sort of have this fear factor. Don't we? I'm afraid. What are we afraid of? What's the worst they could do to us? Well, the worst they could do to us is reject the message. And they might poke fun at us or ridicule us. That's the worst they could do, right? That's not so bad. And so when it comes to this business of sharing the gospel, doing personal work, if you will, we need to, we need to have courage. Don't be afraid. The, uh, it's important work that must be done. And really, we don't have anything serious to fear. We just need to do this work. We also need to stop waiting for perfect circumstances. I'm afraid I'm guilty of this, and, and you may sympathize as well, that we just want the situation to be perfectly ideal before we engage someone in a discussion of, of the Bible, to, to talk about the things contained in the Word of God. We just want ideal circumstances. And, and unfortunately, those ideal circumstances don't come to pass very often. Uh, and, and so since we don't see the situation as being ideal, we don't do anything. And I think we need to stop waiting for those perfect circumstances. And here, I would draw on that episode with Jesus at, and the woman at the well. This was not an ideal situation. Jesus was tired and hungry and thirsty, so personally he wasn't at the top of his game physically, perhaps. This woman was not a likely candidate to be taught. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And on top of that, an immoral woman. This, this just didn't, all of that, you put all that together, this just does not seem like an ideal situation. Not the perfect circumstance. 
But Jesus took the opportunity and taught her. You remember what happened. She went into the city, told the people of the city. They came out and Jesus had the opportunity to teach a whole lot of people because he took the occasion to talk to that one woman at the well. And so I, I would suggest to you that a lesson learned is stop waiting for the ideal circumstance. If you get a chance, if you get a, if you get a, even a slight opening or opportunity, it might be, uh, on the job, uh, someone that you work with, maybe at the lunch table or during coffee break, or it might be with your neighbor across the backyard fence, or, uh, it, it might be with a family relative, uh, that is, is not uh, serving the Lord. There's just all kinds of opportunities to come our way. Stop waiting for the ideal circumstance. Use whatever chance you have. Let's learn that evangelism can take place anywhere, anytime. Here, let me remind you of that situation with Paul in Philippi. Uh, so, as we said, Paul was called away from many fields of endeavor in in the region that we identify as Asia or Asia Minor, uh, where he had done his preaching work previously. He's, he's being directed away from additional fields of effort in that region. He's being called to the north and west toward Philippi. He has the vision. A man uh, 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 of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Paul might have imagined that when I get there, there's going to be huge crowds of people waiting like baby birds with their mouths open for me to teach them the gospel. There's going to be this overwhelming reception, masses of people. What does he find when he gets to Philippi? He finds a few women on the riverside, and he teaches them. Lydia is converted, you remember. And then he gets thrown in jail. And he gets thrown in jail. He and Silas are in prison. And, of course, there's the earthquake at midnight and and. He ends up being able to convert the Philippian jailer, and the next day he has to leave town. A few women at the riverbank, and the Philippian jailer and his family. That's all that Paul got done in Philippi. But as we've talked a lot of times, that church at Philippi may have grown to be the strongest congregation of any that Paul worked with in all of his labors. Philippi turned out to be a great church, but it had such humble beginnings. Where did Paul do the initial teaching in Philippi? on the riverbank, and in the jail. Just doesn't seem likely. Certainly the huge crowds of people that he might have expected weren't there. Uh, but it was such an important work that he did, teaching the gospel in Philippi. Be careful about being too busy to do this important work of sharing the gospel with other people. Um, here maybe I would draw, I, I would use the case of Philip. Uh, uh, in order to stress this, as we said earlier, Philip had been in Samaria uh, and having huge success in the city of Samaria, even to the point that Simon the sorcerer, who had up till this time been the been the dominant character in the city of Samaria. Everybody was was following Simon the sorcerer in Samaria until Philip got there. Philip performed true miracles. He taught the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. The, many in the city were, were converted. Simon the sorcerer himself was also converted. You know, uh, this, was, this was a major work. This was a huge success. And you've got to believe that in all of that, 
Philip would have been very busy. He, he's, he's got all kinds of contacts, all kinds of people uh, wanting his attention, needing his time. Uh, uh, this is a great work going on in, in Samaria. And Philip is called away from that. I think it would have been easy for Philip to say, I can't go right now. I understand there's a need someplace else. I can't go right now. I'm really, really, really busy right here in Samaria, and I need to stick with this work and see it through. And, and I'm going to—I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to answer that call to go to Gaza. He didn't do that, even though I'm sure he was incredibly busy with the work that was being done in in Samaria. He left there and went to the desert and taught one man. And that one man wasn't even from there. That one man was from northern Africa. That one man was from Ethiopia. And yet it was such an important thing to do. And, and Philip was not so busy with other things that he couldn't answer that call to go and teach the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, incredibly important. And I think there's a good lesson for us uh, in that. Uh, and and we, need to, we need to take it to heart. Be willing to go to new places. Try new things. Um, you know, Paul, as we said earlier, we talked about the, the abundance of information that we have about Paul's missionary journeys. Three missionary journeys. He, and in those places, Paul, Paul went to new places. He took the gospel to places it had not gone before. Very impressive work on his part. And when he went to those new places, he was not adverse to trying new things. Uh, we've pointed out often that every time Paul went to a new city, the first place that he hit was the Jewish synagogue. We know that his primary emphasis was going to be preaching the gospel to Gentiles, but he never failed to go to the Jews in every new city and try to reach them. And he, he was successful in some measure. But he also met lots of opposition from the Jews in these various cities. But he wasn't adverse. Every time he would try the synagogue. Then he would go to the marketplaces. He would go to public places where he might have a chance to uh, organize a, a crowd of people who might hear the message that he was preaching. In Athens, we talked about him being in Athens. In Athens, here he was in the center of idolatrous worship and, and, and with the philosophers in Athens, he used the situation of being right there in the middle of all these idols to say, I want to tell you about the, the God that you don't know about. You've got an idol here to an unknown God. I'll tell you about that God. I'm going to tell you about the God you don't know about, the one true God of heaven. Uh, and, and so Paul would do, Paul would try all different uh, methods to try and reach people, and and we need to do that too. Now, when we say try new things, obviously the limitation on that, the caveat to trying new things is they must be scriptural things. They must be they must be authorized kind of things. Some people take that idea of new things to, to justify the argumentation. The end justifies the means, and so they may they would. Some even of our own brethren would use unscriptural methodologies, new things to reach more people. Well, the, the limitation on the new things is that they have to be authorized. We can't. We can't. This is great work. This is important work. But the end never justifies the means, and so we can't do unauthorized things to to reach people. But short of that, we ought to be open to using all kinds of methods and methodologies that fit within 
the realm of authorized activity. Uh, I, I think our community Bible study that's coming up in July is an example of that. You know, we, we've kind of changed over the years. Uh, we used to just exclusively have gospel meetings here in, in our own meeting place. And, as you well know, uh, it's hard to get people to come. People just don't come. And community people don't come to gospel meetings anymore. They used to. A generation ago, lots of people were converted via gospel meetings. But that just doesn't happen much anymore. And so we have decided, several years ago we decided, let's try something else. Let's try to reach our community in a different way. And so we came up with the concept of the community Bible study. It's been, it's been quite successful in getting people out to hear the message. Uh, so that's a new thing. An authorized new thing is an example of what we need to be trying to do. Let's learn that prejudice should never stop us from reaching out to any and all. A couple of the episodes that we referenced initially were ripe for prejudice. Peter going to the house of Cornelius. Mm-mm. No, no. Uh, uh, Peter said, I'm not going there because that guy's a Gentile and I'm a Jew and I'm not having, I, I know better than that and I'm not going to have anything to do with a Gentile man. The Lord's vision to him convinced him otherwise, right? But that was a situation where prejudice could have hindered him from doing the work. And then another one could have been Jesus with that Samaritan woman. You know, ethnic prejudice would have kept most people from having anything to do with that woman. But Jesus took the occasion and taught her. You know, uh, I don't think that we are free from the problem of prejudice uh, certainly our world still has lots of prejudice in it. And I, I think we'd probably be deceiving ourselves if we, I'm, I'm complete, I'm completely an, an unprejudiced person. I have prejudice against no one. Well, that's what we would ideally want to be, but, uh, I think if we're honest with ourselves, there, there are some people, uh, maybe some classes of people or races of people that we might, in our heart of hearts, have some prejudice against. We need to rid ourselves of that. Obviously, we need to rid ourselves of that. And, and that kind of thinking should never hinder us from teaching anybody and everybody who's willing to hear the gospel. Uh, and, and so, uh, in the, in the case of Peter with Cornelius and Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well, we see that there's no place for prejudice in this work of sharing the gospel with others. And then, let me suggest to you finally, that God is with us in this work. When we're doing this work uh, of sharing the gospel with others, God is pleased. God is, God is honored and he is pleased with our work and he'll bless us in this work. Uh, there's, of the episodes that we referenced earlier, there's lots of examples of God being with those who are doing this important job. I, I maybe would just reference Paul once more. You know, the, the apostle Paul ended up in a lot of precarious situations. And he was harshly persecuted, even physically tortured, as he went about sharing the gospel message. But God spared him even to the point that he got him to Rome to proclaim the gospel in the, in the world capital of Rome. Uh, in the little children's class tonight, we talked about Paul being shipwrecked on his way to Rome. Uh, it, it would have seemed likely that Paul and everybody else on that ship would have died uh, in the course of that great storm and the, and the ending shipwreck that happened. 
But God was with Paul. God blessed him in his work. And God was honored in that work. And God is with us when we do this important work of sharing the message of salvation with others. There are a lot of lessons we can learn from. As we said, when we're around someone who's having success, we look at what they're doing and we try to imitate what they were doing so that we can be successful like they are. Uh, that would apply to fishing for fish, as we said. But it certainly applies to fishing for men as well. And so there's some important lessons about personal work, if you will, that we can learn. Thanks for your attention to what we have said tonight. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you are in need of our assistance in making your life right with God, please let us know how we can help. If that is in initially obeying the gospel, we'd be anxious to do that. If you need our help via prayer, let us know while we stand and sing this song.